0: From the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God.
1: Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Please turn with me to page 594 of the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. The word that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from the
2: Gospel of Matthew, hear the word of God for you who are the people of God. Then two will be left in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. So keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Before uh, we pray, let me share on a note that I overlooked just a few moments ago. Uh, We actually had a very busy Thanksgiving. We had three births in the congregation, over Thanksgiving. I want to congratulate Ashley and Elizabeth Hancock on the birth of their daughter, Catherine Elizabeth, who was born on November 25th. I want to congratulate Brandon and Emily Ansley on the birth of their son, Archer Cole Ansley, who was born on November 24th. We also want to congratulate John and Mary Beth Wilson on the birth of their son, John Coles Wilson III, who was born on uh, November the 28th. The Given family, who. Uh, let us in the Advent candle, John uh, is Cason's brother. Uh, and so we celebrate uh, with them as well. Be in prayer for these households in these days as they give thanks. Uh, and now let us go to God in prayer. Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son. Jesus, the Christ, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, many of us have obviously just come through the Thanksgiving season, and and we've participated in habits and rituals and outings that for so many households are routine— Uh, I've celebrated now 20 Thanksgivings with my in-laws each and every year. We travel just outside of Philadelphia to celebrate uh, Thanksgiving at my mother-in-law's house. And, And when you do that for several years, when you practice these particular traditions, you sort of come to know what to expect, don't you? you know what's going to be served at the table besides uh, besides turkey and and cranberry and, and gravy. Uh, my mother-in-law always prepares her mother's recipe for stuffing uh, cornbread and biscuits mixed together with celery and a lot of butter and salt and goodness. Uh, we also... Uh, have a, a corn succotash that we have every year, a broccoli and cauliflower medley, and and, and a wonderful, uh, beautiful table with flowers. You, you come to expect the same things over and over and over again, and there really are not that many surprises. Except in my mother-in-law and my father-in-law's house, my father-in-law is a pastor, my mother-in-law an educator, there's always one or two people who aren't part of the family who don't have a place to go, who are always invited to share in Thanksgiving with us. It's been the same for 20 years, that there will be a surprise, there will be someone we haven't met before, someone who's known to them, someone who doesn't have a place to share a Thanksgiving meal with, a place to go to on this particular holiday. And I've been thinking a lot about expectations and sort of rituals as we come to this Advent season, this first Sunday of Advent, and, and there's a lot to expect when we show up. We, as a congregation, every first Sunday of Advent, celebrate communion. We light candles. We sing, come Thou long-expected Jesus. We have the hanging of the greens tonight. There is a certain level of expectation, certain level of comfort, and, and knowing what is to pass in this particular time of year within the life of the church. But there's also somewhat of uh, the unexpected that shows up each and every year, whether it be a, a funny line spoken at the Christmas pageant, which we will engage in next year next week as well, or or, or something that's new or fresh, new people, new experiences that that come and, and I suspect that for some of us who aren't familiar with The rhythm of Advent, the rhythm of the liturgy of Advent, uh, the texts this morning seem a little bit unexpected. They seem a little bit out of place, but if you have occupied these pews for a very long time, if you're familiar with the lectionary, which is this uh, three-year set of texts that comes to the church, that is presented to the church each and every Sunday, then you know that what we heard today is not that unexpected. But some of us, I get it, some of us are showing up on a Sunday morning, the first Sunday of Advent, and what we're looking for is a little bit of hope. What we're looking for is that word of expectancy. What we're looking for is the opportunity to begin to prepare, as Jamie said, to receive the gift of Christmas. And what we have, at least in the gospel decks this morning, is a grown-up, bearded Jesus talking about the end of the world. For some of us, that's surprising. But each and every year, at this time, in the first Sunday of Advent, each and every year, there is a gospel reading where Jesus gets his apocalypse on, where Jesus starts to talk about the end times, or the second coming right? The first Sunday of Advent rolls around, and, and, and we're, most of us are looking for a word of hope. We're looking for a word of expectancy, and all Jesus wants to talk about are the dark and judgment-filled days of Noah, and we know how that story ended. We anticipate what this season affords. We know we're going to be coming together for worship. We know we're going to be coming together as families and friends around tables like this one and and tables in our homes and, and celebrating. And all Jesus wants to talk about is the time when people are going to be torn apart, when people are going to be taken away. We want to be assured that this season will... Let us rest in the news that comfort and joy are on the horizon. And instead, what we have is Jesus talking about a thief breaking into our house, and that in this season, we have to keep watch. We have to be vigilant. We have to stay awake because nobody knows when this Jesus is going to show up again. Not us, nor the angels, not even Jesus himself. And many are perplexed by these words. I'm perplexed by these words. I'm not sure exactly what Jesus is referring to here. Perhaps he really is referring to the end of human history. Or perhaps he is hyperbolically talking about the fact that all of us are going to be snatched away, that all of us are going to die, that at some point in the future, we will take our last breath. Perhaps he's talking about our mortality. Or maybe he's talking about some figurative metaphorical future we're all destined to receive. But here is the bottom line of it. I think it's safe to say that most of us are not really interested in this kind of talk, in this kind of judgment, in this kind of reality only 24 days from Christmas. We come to church on Advent 1 and we're looking perhaps for a different word. So we begin Advent, and as it is every year, we have some sort of hard text about the apocalypse, about the end of times, about our mortality, about what God's future looks like, and that is actually appropriate. For those of us who have paid attention during the first Sunday of Advent over the years, it's appropriate to begin this way because Advent is not just about preparing ourselves for Christmas, Advent is also about preparing ourselves for Jesus' second coming, for him to come again. Now, I know we got a lot of Presbyterians in the room, and when, when Presbyterians start talking about the second coming, they get weirded out. They get a little uncomfortable because we know, at least this much we know, we don't know a lot about the end of times, we don't know a lot about the second coming, but we know this much, it's about judgment. We talk about Jesus coming back in glory, judging the nations, arbitrating between the nations, separating the wheat and the chaff, separating the sheep and the goats. It's a time of judgment, and we don't want judgment this close to Christmas. We prefer not to hear it, and yet we're we're forced to hear it again, we're forced to hear this word, we're, we're invited to hear this word again. And I think it's important to note that, that although we think a lot of the second coming in terms of, of judgment, let us also be mindful that the first coming, Jesus' birth that we're preparing for, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, is also a judgment. This birth is also a judgment. It's a judgment that's born out of love. It's a judgment as, as God shows up in the flesh, it's a judgment against the separation that exists between us and God. God judges that distance. God judges that separation. It's a judgment against the darkness. It's a a judgment against the evil of this world and the evil of my life. It's a judgment against the rule of Caesar and the rule of Herod. And it's a judgment against any religion or any principality or power that neglects the poor, that neglects the oppressed and the stranger and the children and the widow and the orphan. It's a judgment against any way of being human that seeks to demonize or cast off someone else. It's It speaks against anything that that sees the other as anything less than a daughter or son of the living God. You see, the incarnation, what we're preparing for in the birth of Christ, is actually a judgment born of love. A judgment born of love of that which doesn't belong to God's kingdom, of that which doesn't belong to the future of God. Another way we can look at it is from the perspective of Isaiah, the text that William read for us this morning, where Isaiah is talking about this future that is breaking in and what belongs to it and what doesn't belong to it. And the prophet says that, that all the nations, all the nations will be drawn to the house of God, thus overcoming racial and ethic and national divisions and separations, that, that God actually judges our separation Judges what we do to one another in creating chasms and gaps between us. God judges war. God judges violence. Listen to what the prophet says. His weapons, which were once used to destroy life, will be turned into instruments and tools that will sustain and promote life. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. The future of God includes a new curriculum for us. It includes a new classroom. It's not that we're going to learn violence and war anymore, but we're actually going to learn the way of peace. And what we see through the prophet Isaiah as we begin this Advent season is that through the prophet, God is judging the darkness, that God is judging that which does not belong to God's reign or to God's future. And in that judgment is where we begin to see the kindling that will light the fire of this season. That in that judgment, we begin to see a light flicker, and it's a light that leads us to receive what God wants us to receive right now, in our time, and in our moment. And the invitation comes in a very clear way, and it's spoken with these words. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's the invitation to begin this Advent season. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Friends, it's often been said that that we Christians, we, we live in between the times, right? We live in between the days of Noah, of despair and darkness and flood and destruction, and we live in between the days when God will completely and totally put the world to rights, when God will make a way for justice and love and mercy to prevail, and we live in between the times We live in between those days. Another way to say it is that we live in the now and the not yet, that God's future is breaking in, that God is making a way for us, that God is lighting the darkness. And yet we realize that there's still brokenness. We realize there's still sin. We realize what we have walked into this sanctuary with, all that we're carrying, all that shadows us in this moment, we know that the full reign of God has not yet come to pass, and, and I think Advent, what it does is that it invites us into this tension, to hold this tension, to not be naive about the darkness, to tell the truth and to be honest about it, to tell the truth about what we in this world face, but also be able to keep watch, to be on the lookout for this light breaking in in our own lives, into the darkness of our own lives and into the darkness of lives. Of the world. And I think that's what it means to live in between the times. I think that's what it means to live in these days that we walk in the light of the Lord in the darkness. I was thinking about when I first was taught how to use a flashlight in, in the woods, right? When you're learning how to use a flashlight as a child or you're teaching your child or a grandchild how to use a flashlight in the dark when you're camping, you don't point it to the sky as you're walking through the woods. You don't point it to your right or to your left. You, you point it right in, in front of you and what you learn to do is as you're navigating the woods in the darkness, you learn to walk in the light in the darkness. That's the Advent message. That's the Advent invitation. We walk in the light in the darkness. And what that means for us as a people is that we recognize the darkness of broken relationships. Some of us have felt them acutely over this holiday season, where people aren't talking to each other, where people are not connected to each other, where they haven't forgiven one another. And so what we do in that darkness is we walk in the light of reconciliation. We walk in the light in a different way than the world walks. Not a way that holds grudges, not a way that that holds on to things, but in a way that forgives, in a way that offers mercy. We walk in the light, in the darkness, which means we do care for people who are different than us. We care for the poor, we care for the oppressed, we care for the widow, we care for the orphan, we care for children, we care for the most vulnerable in need, we, we walk in the light and the darkness, which means we see the humanity of other people. We recognize them as children of the living God. Come, let us walk in the light in the darkness. That's how you live in between the times. You walk in the light that shines in the darkness. I want to close with this. Uh, two Thursdays ago, uh, over 350 people packed Fifield Hall. Many of you were there uh, to honor and celebrate and give thanks to God for the pastorate of Reverend Connie Lee. Where is Connie? There she is. Thank you, Connie. And as I've already said uh, in our announcements, and as you well already know, today is Connie's last Sunday as a pastor of this congregation after almost 20 faithful years in service to this church, to this city, and beyond. And at the celebration a couple weeks ago, we heard from multiple speakers who have known Connie, who have shared in ministry with her, who have mentored her, who have been served by her pastoral care and her prophetic voice. And it was a touching and and meaningful night. It's one that I'll never forget, and I know many of us will never forget. It also included, maybe the, the pinnacle of the night, it included a video from Charles Black that we went in and dug out of our archives, where Charles, a few years ago, recorded this video talking about Connie's faithful ministry. Now that Charles has gone on to be with the Lord, it was like his voice was coming back to us and speaking another word. And before we close the night, we invited Connie and her husband, Gentle, to to take the stage. And and Connie, with joy and gratitude in her voice, she, she raised out her arms and she looked at us and she said, this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. She said, this is what the future of God looks like. This is what the church ought to look like. And as I watched and I, and I listened to her, studying her every move, paying attention to every syllable, I gave thanks to God for what a faithful example Connie has been to our congregation when it comes to walking in the light in the darkness. Her care for us in our own dark times. Her preaching the right word when we needed it her ministry when we have been vulnerable, her leadership in the city's efforts to end homelessness, her ministry to break down racial and socioeconomic barriers through her leadership with First Pres and Hillside's partnership, her leadership with denominational and, and, presbytery, and presbytery bodies in, in, in an effort to cultivate Dr. King's beloved community, and her leadership in more recent days with the interfaith community and their efforts to end mass incarceration, all of these have shown this church what it means to walk in the light in the darkness. And so Connie, on this day that we begin Advent, and on this day that we mark your retirement, the end of faithful, faithful service, we say thank you for living out the vision of Isaiah. Thank you for living out that vision for us. We're better people, we're a better church because you have pastored us. And your prophetic voice and your leadership in these in-between times are exactly what we've needed. Thank you for showing us what God's judgment and love looks like. And thank you for showing us what it means to walk in the light especially when it's darkest. May we continue to be a church that walks that way. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be, amen.
2: seated. Friends, in this season we prepare ourselves for the blessing that is yet to come to the world in the birth of Jesus Christ. It is a time to recommit our lives to faith and express our gratitude. Today we return a portion of the blessings we've already received in the form of our tithes and our offerings.